to come in, lap after lap after lap, and what does he do? He ignores them. A committee meeting about it, stick it on and send him out. Just get it through the bus stop chicane, George, try and straight line it, get to the line and we'll see what happens. Paris tries to cut off Hamilton, oh, oh, oh. and goes straight on. This is quite appalling, this is the worst start for a Grand Prix that I have ever seen in the whole of my life. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Unqualified, a Formula One racing podcast by two guys with absolutely no business being in this business. Gerald, I got to tell you, buddy, I was so inspired by the events of Jetta this weekend that I actually wrote a poem for today's intro that uh, if, if you'll allow it, I'd like to read to you and our, and our audience. This was not, I'll just note, this was not in the show notes, so I cannot <laughs> attest to anything that's about to be said after this, but this is uh, on you. Please take it away. I'd also like to say it'll be obvious as I go through it, but after I had written it, it, it became obvious to me that this was written to the rhyme of the night before Christmas. I have no idea why. <laughs> All right. I'll have to unpack that another time. This weekend in Jeddah, it really did excite. Too bad we just missed out. On one more missile strike. The Minister of Defense. (laughs) I thought we were going to at least make it five minutes into this thing before we fucking (laughs) waged into (laughs) geopolitics that we were unprepared to talk about, but continue. (coughs) The (laughs) (laughs) The Minister of Defense. Goes on offense. Team orders were looming, but Checo, he just kept zooming. Max Verstappen tried to make it happen from 15th on the grid. Logan Sargent again looked racy. I'm damn impressed by that kid. <clears throat> What's that you say? A sandbagging Ferrari? Wait, those bags are full of shit. You still suck. Sorry. <laughs> McLaren's, <laughs> McLaren's performance has turned Norris and Piastri into victims. A compliment at this point would be to call that car another Williams. Race control invokes the spirit of the rules, once again, just to be taken as fools. Regulatory overreach is a serious issue, you see. But has anyone's reputation aged better at this point than Michael Massey's? I'm Graham Harris, <laughs> but I'm not here alone. I'm joined by Gerald Carter, our articulate, slightly paranoid maestro, who's now going to attempt to rein this in and bring it home. My guy, great to see you. Where do you want to go from here? <laughs> I mean, there's plenty to unpack in in that. <laughs> I mean, to be honest, I'm a bit concerned. Given the, the amount of work that you've put into this podcast over the last two weeks and now impromptu poetry, I, I feel like I'm inclined to ask, like, is, is everything going okay? How's, how's the rest of life? It seems like you got a lot of time on your hands. They're still sending me a check in the mail, so I'm good. Hey, man, that is all that matters. Uh, I thought that was beautiful. That was really... Thanks. I could tell it was from the heart. It was very sincere. And, you know, the rhyme scheme was quite impressive. So I got bars. I got bars. Yeah. I don't think yeah, that's what I, I got bars means, but I got, I got whatever it is. <laughs> yeah. I thought you could only do haikus. That was far more. Uh, that oh, was yeah. far more in depth. Well done. Yeah, that was not written by ChatGPT. <laughs> That's true. I, we should have started there, given your <laughs> proclivity recently. <clears throat> nice. 
well, I mean, that's that's tough to top. But if I if I had to pick one topic that I think could could really elicit more interest and engagement from our audience than your your inaugural poem, uh, it would have to be our weekly Lance Stroll watch. What is the late? <laughs> What is the latest and greatest in the world of Mr. Lance Troll? Well, following last week's outing, he, he, for whatever reason, felt compelled to come out with full transparency, almost like it was some sort of public controversy, like he had to tell like us more. Monica Lewinsky tell-all. Yeah, no kidding. I, I feel like he's going to, he's got a book deal coming next. Um <laughs> It included hospital pictures of him in the gown with casts on. You got his x-rays with the screws in his bones. And mm. it turns out what we what we suspected, which was it was not just one or two wrist injuries, but on top of that, a broken toe as well. Uh, supposedly still from cycling, but, as, it, but as, as an avid cyclist yourself, what did you make of this whole uh, injury reveal? Uh, I melodramatic best word that comes to mind a guy who got no attention from his father as a young boy is starving for it now in every other dimension of his life and this is how it's it's, it's manifest itself currently uh also he's probably not really been through much trauma in his life and so this visit to the hospital is basically the peak of that dramatic existence and so you know this is his his trauma super bowl so he feels the need to uh to let people know that's my honest take I think it was doing such favor for him in terms of garnering like this, uh, people being very impressed by him, right? He, every announcer was like, that's so amazing. He's come back. He's Funny in the car. And, and it's almost like, well, let's get a picture of him out there in a full body cast and really like play this up. You know, they were like, they had to maximize the brand value of his, his grit and his, his fortitude to, to continue to press on despite a, a multitude of injuries. So wow. I think there was a, I think there's a little bit of marketing to that. That being said, continued to have another great weekend and you know, some credit to him, but clearly seems like the the Aston Martin was not just a one race pony and might be the real deal and and here to stay. I I'm here for your Lance Stroll sidebar. You know, he actually does deserve a lot of credit. He had a pretty sick overtake on signs in the first lap mm-hmm. this week. He actually Preach. does look a little he looks a little bit racy, you know, like I'm not the whole wrist thing is a weird obsession for you. If you want to keep the bit going, that's fine. But like, he's <laughs> he's having a little bit of a glow up, and I'm willing to acknowledge that. Well, and I think on top of that, you also have to give him credit for properly removing his car from the track when he when he had an issue, although you know wasn't acknowledged whatsoever by the stewards who proceeded to uh, put the car under or put the race under safety car. Yeah. which we'll cover cover more later but it seems like at the moment he's he's doing everything right so i i just after all of the shit we gave him it feels it feels right to to give him a little bit of praise and let's be honest hopefully this is the end of the the lance stroll saga but it, it felt like we had to we had to close the loop here fair enough all right can we move on now yeah, yeah. Actually, though, with that being said, I, I think this is a an apt time that we we bring in our our sponsor for the week. So I got a quick ad read. Oh, really? All right. Well, let me play you in. If you couldn't discover already, I uh, I created a soundboard, which is probably going to be incredibly annoying to everybody that's listened. But oh. I'll play I'll play you into the advert. Lovely. 
And this week's sponsor is Icy Hot. Did you recently risk your high-paying job doing something pointlessly dangerous outside of work? Did that thing go horribly wrong? Do you need now need relief from your aching and painful joints? Try Icy Hot. It cools the area, followed by a nice warming sensation. And it's far less hot than your billionaire father's anger from jeopardizing the family's reputation. Icy Hot. Ice your pain, not your career. Now available in Canada. Now can we move on? <laughs> Absolutely. If so with that still listening at this point to this clown show. <laughs> I think we've really jumped the shark here, haven't we? <laughs> God dang. All right. Well, with that, let's actually talk about a substantive topic in the sport. Uh, the broader, let's go from the hyper micro to, to the real macro. What would your take be on the, on the state of competition across the grid? You know, we got the first race out of the way previously and you know everybody says it's hard to say what's what you know we got to get to a couple of more races under the belt but now we have two and there was suspected to be different track conditions high speed track better tarmac or or less degradation maybe uh you know we'll see different teams shine but what's your take on where teams stand parity in the the front of the grid post you know x red bull and then and then through the rest of the midfield i mean i think we might be about to witness the most dominant constructor season of all time. Well, at least in modern Formula One history, I think it's hard to see how it's tr- the season's transpired thus far and at least not consider that a possibility, if not a strong one. And so I think be- in light of that, you kind of have people in two camps, right? Like one camp being you think that the primary role of regulation in F1 is to bring parity across the grid and your nirvana is three teams, four teams, all with a driver with a shot to win the championship at the last week of the season. And that's like your nirvana. Um, I am a bit more of a pragmatist. I don't really think that's realistic, nor do I think that that is the objective of a constructor series uh, sport. Uh, I don't think the goal is to create IndyCar. And it shouldn't be. Uh, the goal should be for driver performance and engineering performance to be able to be um, highlighted and shown off in their own way. And to me, I think we've got a great balance of that on the grid this year. Yes, you have a team that's very far out in front, but then you have a lot of teams who are basically this giant cluster in the middle. It's literally Red Bull and everybody else, which that hasn't happened in forever, uh, to have nine teams that all genuinely could be anywhere in the constructors' table. Um, and so I think it's a really healthy spot for the sport. And I also think it... it um, it is just really impressive how much more aerodynamically efficient that Red Bull is. Like, it, yeah, I get it. It's easy for me to be more entertained by it because I'm a Red Bull fan. But um, that level of of excellence in their engineering should be rewarded in the way that I think it will be this season. So um, I think the sport's in an incredibly healthy place. I don't think complete parity in terms of team performance should ever be the goal. And I think sometimes people are a little misguided in thinking. Well, as you mentioned, IndyCar, like there's very clearly a way to achieve universal parity, and it's <laughs> enforcing far more commonality in car design, engine, you know, et cetera. But yeah, I, I agree with you, right? While while the dominance of a lead team is not ideal, I, I think you know, one of the things I like about the sport is that that focus on the journey and the progress, not just the the end accomplishment, right? And so you see a team going from seventh to yeah. fourth, 
much less second. That's like an impressive gain when you see what oh, yeah. Williams is doing, going from last to not last and, and maybe somewhere in sixth, seventh. Like to be able to appreciate that, I think is important. And I think also the, just the multifaceted nature of like what contributes to success, as you said, right? Like team, you know, car performance, team performance, strategy, driver performance, all of that, uh, you know, the, the inter-team politics, all of that is at play, which I think is, is largely unique within, within this sport. Uh, and you have to be able to appreciate that to, I think, value the sport, um, especially in times which is quite common, right? In the last 20 years, which is a dominant first team. So you just kind of got to kind of got to live with it. I just love that Adrian Newey is on the grid before every race, walking around with a beat up red notebook, just writing stuff down. Like, oh, what do you think's in that notebook? You think it's just like this car fucking sucks for this reason? Like he's just scrutinizing them, or is he is he taking like constructive notes to actually take back to the team? If you opened up that notebook and read it, you would understand 0.01% of the words in there. I guarantee it. Like, it would basically be, it might as well have been written in, like, Farsi. There's just no chance. Yeah. He probably has his own language. Well, I think that does spell things for good things for the rest of the year because there's been a lot of surprises. Some of the surprises have been validated. The second race in, some new ones cropping up. Uh, which is what we love to see. So, what was your what was your quick highlights from the weekend, from practice practice to race finish? Uh, I mean, I, I said it in my my poem, uh, but uh, <laughs> my, sorry, I, I, I kind of tuned out once you said I, I have a poem. So, <laughs> I continue to think Logan Sargent looks pretty racy, and he's making uh, rookie mistakes. Um, yeah, but he had a single lap that was kind of unfortunately deleted, although I get it in qualifying, right? He crossed the pink line on the pit straight. You know, he, he said in the interview that they didn't enforce it during practice, so I didn't know, and I've been doing that the whole time. And if that's true, he kind of has a point. Regardless, he's shown some racy single lap pace, and his race pace, you know, his tires fell off at the end of the race. But I think there's a lot of people that came into the season expecting for him to just kind of be like the next Latifi. And I don't think he's that guy. I'm like he's certainly not crownable at this point in the season, but he looks like he might be a little racy. And if he can take the step forward that Mick Schumacher was never able to take, which is to be more consistent and reliable and kind of put performance together after performance, he might turn into a pretty decent driver. So that that was one thing that stuck out to me. Um Well, he made it uh, through through the weekend without crashing and damaging the car. So I mean that's that's <laughs> a, a positive there. Yeah. I think another thing that was notable is like there were no red flags. Um, mm-hmm. And I think Jetta's, even though it's only the third running in Jetta, people have kind of come to expect that. So uh, maybe somewhat goes to credit to the, you know, the, the with, um, widening of the walls and kind of the um, a little bit more runoff in certain areas, maybe made the drivers feel at least by the eyes that they were taking less risk and maybe that that manifests so uh i mean i, I think it's a good racetrack i continue to do think. you think it was largely track changes that sort of reduced the the flags that came out during the race or or do you think it was something else like again the cost cap and the importance of saving your money for development and new parts or was the mark mick schumacher uh experience sort of on the mind of maybe a lot of these young drivers who have been a bit conservative um in some of the early qualifying sessions, maybe in this race overall, like 
what do you think is playing on the mind of the drivers or do you think it's just track changes and that and that reduce some of the risk i think it's a pretty bold statement to say that guys are driving safer um I don't know. That's interesting. And I mean, maybe rookies in particular, not necessarily like the full grid, but I think you've seen consistently like the rookies kind of getting up to speed. And I think in this race, it just seemed like maybe playing it a bit, a bit safer at times. Yeah, perhaps. Or perhaps they were just like so out of the running that they weren't really even like being racing and competitive. I mean, DeVries and Piastri, Piastri because of his early pit stop and the damage and DeVries just because he just seems to suck right now. Those guys were just lost um, <laughs> in the order. Um, but, yeah, hey, you, you may have a point. See how it bears out over the rest of the season. Yeah, but but overall, you mentioned the track. I, I think this track is phenomenal, incredibly challenging. I think forces the drivers to you know, deliver at a whole new level and, and helps differentiate the drivers. And I think it leads to some some great racing. I, I think you know the DRS detection change made this year was was a good one. Um, you yep. know, as we'll talk about more, I, I tend to not agree with a lot of FIA decisions, but the, I think this one was a good one. It stopped sort of the, the unnecessary gaming of the, the detection zones leading to probably some unsafe practices and, and just some things that seemed counterintuitive. And I think you still got some of that gamesmanship, even with the, the detection zone after the corner going into the home straight of people, maybe not ma- making that pass into the corner like they could. I think you saw that with Verstappen, for example. Um, but overall, I think you see great racing, some a lot of great passes, and and I think it's uh, it's definitely an improvement to the calendar. Agreed. All right, should we talk? Uh, should we get into the race itself? Let's do it. All right. Uh, overall, Red Bull dominant from start to finish. Uh, looked even more so from from practice. With with Verstappen just leading the way, I mean, there was points in practice where he was on a hard tire, putting up better times than other teams on softs, right? And it, it just was unbelievable difference between the teams. Uh, unfortunately, his his qualifying um, cut short with uh, with a drive shaft issue out in Q two, starting fifteenth. Meanwhile, Perez taking pole, losing it at the start, but quickly capturing that back from Alonso and finishing ahead. Although, of course, questions of team orders and and managing that driver dynamic came up in the, the closing laps regarding, you know, what was the gap and what was the pace each driver were, were trying to take. Um, but overall, what was your what was your take on kind of how that race ended, the dynamics with Perez and Verstappen and the team and, and team orders? Uh, as a Perez fan, uh, and more of a Perez fan than a Verstappen fan, I the tempting thing is to see this race and think to yourself, oh, we have a championship contender on our hands. And that's tempting because if it's not Perez, it's nobody this year. Um, I, I'm not going to go there. I still think that over the course of a season and on all of the tracks that they'll have to race on, because remember... Perez is like unusually good at street tracks and it doesn't matter like which ones he just is better on street circuits, like by and large. Uh, It's never made sense to me because not all street circuits are created equal, but he figures it out. I don't know how, Um, but I think Max is going to have him covered. That's not to say that I don't think Perez's race pace was impressive. I mean, he genuinely like 
This is the first time in the four times he's beaten Max that he's done it like straight up, like man for man. Once Max got through Leclerc and was on the same strategy, same tires, just had he matched his race pace. Um, but the fact that that is kind of isolated to one race and Max should still have confidence and that he's got the leg up the rest of the season, it makes the way he behaved at the end of the race like even more petty. Because it's like, dude, it is so early and you have so many more advantages than your teammate to carry the drivers through the whole of the season. Like, why would you get in a pissing match about closing pace in the last 10 laps of the race and the fastest lap? Like, I just, he he has such blinders on to like every possible point he can win. And if he's not careful how he throttles it this year, like he could really, really lead to a very, it could lead to a very deconstructive, toxic, intra-team relationship like you could feel the tension like who was who was petty uh, just clarify you said max you think max was i think petty. max i think max was being petty yeah because basically it all started because gp gave him a target time of 133 and max literally just wouldn't respond on the radio and he started pounding in 132 2 132 3 132 2 and perez was looking at the deltas and he was like listening to uh, I can't remember his engineer's name, but he was listening to me. He was like, what's my target time? And it's like 133. He's like, no, like Max is going faster. Why would you tell me to? And to Perez's credit, he matched him, but he was, and he may have seemed paranoid on the team radio, but he was only doing it because he knows he has to protect himself that much more because of how Max is. And I guess my point is, I don't think Max has to be that way. Like he can be more gracious in those moments where the circumstances of the race add up to his teammate beating him and still feel confident he's going to win the totality of the season. Like he doesn't have to be paranoid, but he is like, he's kind of a paranoid guy. I, I don't, I don't quite get it. So did you, so to your point that you don't think Perez will necessarily have the ability to carry that challenge all the way through the season. Did you not take his ability to match lap for lap? there at the end of the race as like a sign that they, they can truly match on pace? Or, or do you think that was just like track specific and across the course of the season, he's not really able to do that? I think he has got better race pace relative to Max this year than he did last year, but I still think there's enough elements of it that are track specific where Max is going to beat him in qualifying enough, get track position. Like there's never going to be a scenario where they're going to team orders Perez ahead of Max on like relative race pace. Like that's not going to happen. So net-net, you'd think Max is going to get track position and more qualifyings and not give it up. Like, that just – and maybe they go one-two every race this year, but I just – I still think – which is not going to happen. But if, even if that does happen, I think it's really difficult to make a case that Perez is going to be first in more of those than Max. It just, just seems incredibly unlikely. And, yes, I do think some of what we saw was track specific. I'm confused, though. What was the problem with Verstappen going for the fastest lap on the last lap? It was just an indicate. I don't. I don't necessarily have as much of a problem with that, uh, but it is the non-responsiveness to his engineers to not even like be communicative about what his intentions were in the last ten laps of the race. Like, and I get it. Like, GP told him we're not concerned about fastest lap. He was like, "Well, I am. I get it." He's he's defending his interests, but like, he he was he wouldn't even communicate when when GP gave him a pace target. He wouldn't even respond. 
he just like did what he wanted without saying anything back to the team. Basically anticipating like I'm going to catch Perez because I can get a half second a lap on him. And once I get up behind him, I'm going to force the team's hand and make them make a tough decision about race strategy. So here we go. And then he realized he wasn't going to catch Perez. And then he was like, I'm hearing weird noises. I've got a drive shaft issue. I'm going to back off. Like the whole thing just felt very convenient. Like, let me try and chase down my teammate. Oh, wait, I don't have the pace. Oh, now I have a problem. Never really had a problem. But like, it'll sound a lot better when I tell the media after the race that like I backed off because I didn't want the car to break. I could have caught him. Really? I don't know if you could have caught him. Like, maybe you just didn't have it today. And that's fine. That's fine. I think this is where, if I was the one talking right now, you'd cue the X-Files sound from your uh, your soundboard. You want, <laughs> do you want me to cue the X-Files sound? <laughs> to be honest, it's, it sounds a little conspiratorial that he made up a, a drive shaft concern. I think he's being petty. I mean, look, I... I love his ruthlessness. Look, I think it, it costs Red Bull points and positions in at a time where they didn't have a dominant car because you do need to rely on your your team to kind of tell you what do you need to do in order to maximize position. But now that they have a clearly dominant car, at this point, it's just like, fuck it. Let that dude just punch the throttle all the way through the race and let him do his thing. And to me... I I love the fact that he's got that killer instinct where they're like, oh, we're not worried about the fastest app. He's like, no, dude, championships have been decided by tiny amounts. I'm here to score points. I'm- and if I can do that without coming in for a, a pit stop just on my own merit and I can save it up for the final lap and just deliver on that one lap pace. I mean, the fact that that dude put in like six laps in a row that were within a tenth of a second, just consistently one after the other. He's yeah, just well, a so machine, and he's so automatic. Perez. Yeah, there was a little more variability. I um, don't know. I was – hey, man. A little up and down. I, Max I, is machine. He's aggressive. He's going for the points. And either Perez can hang or he can't. And this race, he, well, he, he did. He hung no, he had a, on Sunday. and he I, had I a 15, just think Max- He had a 14-position lead, so that off actually helped him. But yeah. safety car closed the gap, and, and he did what he needed to do this weekend. Um I almost think it's a little bit – I see the paranoia in Perez when they're in the cool-down room and he's like, oh, did the did the team tell you to to slow down? Like, did you did you follow the team orders on, like, the pace oh. that you were trying to hit? And Max is like, I don't even fucking know. I just went for that fastest lap and I got it. No, Max knew exactly what he was doing. That wasn't his response. Max was being non-responsive because he didn't want to tell Perez, yeah, I was ignoring team orders because I was trying to catch your ass and I was hoping you wouldn't see it coming. He's not going to say that to him on national TV. Like, Perez has every right to be paranoid, dude. He he knows he wants to fight for a championship. In his heart of hearts, he probably knows he's not going to win it for Max, but, like, he's a competitor. He's going to fight. On a team dynamic where they're, the team is that loyal to Max as they should be because everything he's done for them since he was literally 17 years old coming onto the grid, Perez is right to be worried that, like, his information or his strategy would be biased against him. He's but 100% that dynamic, right. But because that dynamic, it is. But that it dynamic is. is not different than any of the other teams. Look at the politicking on Mercedes when Russell's like, doesn't have oh, to what be. about the Alonzo penalty? I think I could still get third. Or Leclerc asking, saying, oh, this is shit behind sign. So the dynamic is not different from any team. Yeah, Perez has to deliver. 
Can he yeah. over the course of a 23 race season? I don't know, but begging the team to enforce strict pace limits in order to to ensure his gap, I don't think is the way that you I I think Perez's greatness in the sport. I think Perez's point would probably not be I wish we had made everybody stick to a pace limit. I think his point would be why did we dictate a pace limit? Why didn't you just say let let him race? Like I let, like if that's the case then I agree let him just let them yeah. battle it out because that is the battle right. of the season. It's almost as if Red Bull is trying to manufacture a gap between the drivers when at the end of the day the only gap that matters is the gap between your second driver and the next team behind him which was completely meaningless because it was so big. So just tell your guys, race. Here's your deltas. You decide what pace you want to race. You know how to calibrate the risk. Don't wreck the car. But like, race. Like, well, I think I, after I, this race, after this one, that's where they need to acknowledge we have clearly dominant cars, and we just look like shit the more we have our drivers fight over these things. And so yeah. just, just let them go, and yeah. and may the best man win. I. I think we've covered that driver dynamic enough. Although I will say the shot of Jos Verstappen next to the Perez celebration on Sky was pretty hilarious. Of course, it got screen grabbed and Jos gave him a handshake and clearly congratulated him. So like, wasn't nearly what it looked like, but it people was blow cool. that out of proportion I know, more than I know. anything else. Like, I know it's good. People hate Jos Verstappen. Jos just like, has a naturally aggressive looking face. And so just yeah. him standing normally is like, Yos is pissed off about this thing. And you're like, he, he looks less friendly than Mazepin's dad, which is like hard to do. <laughs> uh, uh, I would just say in general, I'd like to own goal for a second here. I am feeling great about my prediction of Red Bull's margin of victory in the constructors. I, I think it's inevitable at this point. Yeah, I, I might have been uh, I might have been too predicting what I wanted to happen rather than what was likely. So I, I think you're on a good track for for that one. Well, with that being said, let's look to something that was a bit less predictable. I mean, despite all of the optimism, I don't think anybody had them where they were. Aston Martin, first race of the year, great all weekend, especially in race, lower tire degradation. And so we and many others thought, well, the field might narrow quite a bit going into Saudi Arabia. That's a little bit easier on the tires, might suit certain cars like Ferrari and and you know that are more focused on on high engine performance and high speed but I need to time that a little closer to the Ferrari. I was going to say is that just like an automatic uh, correlation? <laughs> but Austin Aston Martin second week in a row delivered not just in qualifying or not just in the race but the entire weekend long. Now that being said Alonso qualified second, finished the race third, but very start of the race made it a little bit harder for himself, taking a penalty similar to Ocon last race, not lining up properly, a little bit wide left, um, but ultimately passed, for, uh, passed Perez at the start, held it for a few laps before before relinquishing. What was your overall uh, take on on Alonso overall, even Stroll having a good day? What's your what's your rundown on Aston Martin and, and where they stand for the season? Uh, these guys are for real. They're not. They're no fluke. Like Aston's got this car dialed in a way where it can race a lot of different types of places. Jeddah and Bahrain are uh, sorry. Jeddah and yeah, Bahrain are very very different. Um, 
Alonzo is still got his old bag of tricks. And, uh, you know, uh, the reliability bugaboos obviously bit him, which we've said preseason was a concern. And I think it's still a valid one. For Stroll um, in particular. Well, reliability of the car itself. I mean, Stroll didn't have anything to do with that failure. But yeah. um, as a second driver, I think he's shown he's pretty racy and, like, can be dependable. I mean, dude, he bodied Carlos Sainz in the first lap. Yeah. Like, bodied him. Yeah, like probably nice the most, pass. Probably the most impressive overtake of the race, honestly. Uh, DRS not open, like, just a pure racing overtake. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I, I mean, I think Aston... I I don't know that it's outrageous to put them as the odds on favorite for second in the constructors at this point. Um, I think they've earned that level of respect. I mean, if Stroll survives that race, he very well could be, you know, taking it to Mercedes through the, through the remainder. So, I mean, that being said, Mercedes has still at least looked consistent in that, you know, two, three spot, but yeah, the, the hype was, was real, which is a, a shocking turn of of favor from from seventh up to at this point second you know tied for second second third even i mean phenomenal for them well i i I tell you i also did i i kind of perked up a little bit i mean obviously alonzo got off the line really well had the lead of the race but then even after perez uh overtook him he was in the one second window for the first 10 laps of the race and Mm -hmm. i actually think in hindsight that had more to do with perez managing than it did Alonzo staying in the DRS window, but still, like, I think the thing that that really reinforces is, like, the race between him and the Mercedes is actually not that close right now. Like, yeah, he, he, opened, he, is, he was able to open up the gap behind, yeah. regardless of what Perez was doing in front. Exactly. So, um, you know, I don't know about Stroll on pure race pace. He might be a little bit more on par with George Russell and Lewis. That's kind of how he's looking. But Alonzo seems to have a leg up right now, and... um I mean, he's he might be on the podium a lot, <laughs> like a lot. Yeah, which, I mean, great, great to see. Well, with that, I mean, great performance by both him and Stroll, albeit Stroll only for the first, you know, 17 laps or so. Um, but now we have to turn our scorn to somebody because, you know, with all this, with all this deep-seated anger and hatred in our hearts, we have to take it out on somebody. So who better than the FIA themselves? It seems like two weeks in a row now, they they are trying to find themselves into every little situation. I mean, even before the weekend. So the big ones, obviously. Alonzo, the pit, the, the race start, being out of the box. Then, similar to Ocon, going into the pit to serve his five-second penalty and they try to hit him with not serving the penalty correctly for trying to uh for the for the rear jackman touching the car before the 5 seconds had passed basically potentially giving him another 10 second penalty and the the third place to Russell but ultimately on the the, the protest from the team providing i think it was like seven instances of times in the past in which the rear jackman had touched the car while serving a penalty they ended up reversing that. So, I mean, there's numerous other examples we'll touch on in a moment, but I mean, what was your take just on the FIA's handling of that situation and the the general role that they're playing within, you know, the race weekends at present? You feel like it's overkill? Are they nitpicking? I mean, even Russell thought the 10 seconds was extreme, even lining up in the pit box, you know, the, the race start box a little bit left or right. 
is not a noticeable advantage. Are they trying to make the show too much about themselves at this point? Fucking thing sucks! I... Sorry. I was sitting on that one for like 10, 10 minutes. Uh, okay. You said it perfectly. If the teams have to remind the FIA of their voting record on rules issues in the past, and that is enough to overturn a decision, they are clearly not doing their job well. The teams should not have to remind you of your voting record on ambiguous rules. And I think the thing it ultimately boils down to is, if you are having a conversation to question how to interpret a rule, and the first question you ask is, what did the spirit of the rules necessitate in this situation? You're like asking the wrong question. Like you and I already are not going to be able to have a conversation about this because the the problem is that we're asking what the spirit of the rules is. The spirit of the rules should be irrelevant. It should be explicit. Like how have they not hired enough attorneys to go back and look through this rule book and write explicit clauses about what things should mean to the point where one, they don't take an entire 60 laps to adjudicate and, and decide on. And two, they don't require the teams to pull out your historical voting record on the matter to de- then decide on it one way or other. Like, I, I, how can things like this just not already be made explicit? Like, why do we have to screw it up? Like, this week, you're going to see a rule come out that says you can't touch the car, except for the front jack man. I just don't understand how it was very difficult for that to not already exist. Like, why do failures have to be the thing that make the rules more explicit? Why can't you do that preemptively? It just doesn't. It just doesn't seem that hard. That one got me hot and bothered. Yeah, I mean, the whole spirit of the rule thing is is kind of ridiculous, right? I think there are already sufficient instances in which there's interpretation required, right? When people are passing, where there's contact, where they sufficiently alongside, et cetera, right? But the areas in where it can be a definitive, hard and fast rule, make it so. All right. Yeah. And here's where I'll get on my soapbox a little bit, but it just feels like classic, like bureaucrat mindset and behavior where it's like you, you use this veil of spirit of the law so that you can kind of have, have your hand in anything. And, and that gives you the subjective control and power to, to make decisions kind of however you want on a whim. And I think the, the even better example is the whole jewelry rule, right? They continue to, 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 issue an order around Hamilton and for wearing the jewelry only to have them, you know, have a doctor provide a note and an exemption for them to say, yep, exemption approved. But they just want to be in the middle of that situation. So if they ever decide to change their mind, they can say, oh, no, you don't get that exemption this time. It's like this just little petty sense of power that like, yes, we gave you an exemption this time. It's like, well, who gives a shit altogether? Like, this is a stupid thing that you're just going to have people reviewing paperwork that's like totally non-value added. And so I, I think that's sort of the extreme example in my mind, but I think you see others of those. And and yeah, I agree. Where the rules can be definitively defined, do so. Yeah. Plain as, plain as that. It's It's gone on long enough. And I, again, spoke about it in my poem. Like, clearly these issues were a lot deeper than Michael Massey. Clearly. And they're still around. And it's, Well, and if you as the sort of the institutionalist and the company man are saying such a thing, there's really got to be a, a problem because you you sure, you sure toe the line. So uh, Hey, call, call, call me when you need some process improvement, baby. We'll be on it. We're on it.
<laughs> Corporate governance nice. is my that's my special. <laughs> well, I think that uh, I think that covers off after Aston Martin. Another impressive weekend. Now tied with Mercedes for second place in constructors, which did not think we'd be saying this at this point in time. Um, but that being said, on the Mercedes side, despite being second, finishing fourth and fifth in this race, uh, the team is, in, from in their own words, clearly not where they want to be. Everyone from Toto to Russell to Hamilton, all incredibly critical of the car. You know, you even have Hamilton coming out uh, saying, you know, they didn't listen to me on the car this time, only to have him kind of walk that back, which, again, I think probably more candid than he normally is, which I am fully here for. I hope he embraces uh, that candor as he does in, in some other venues, you know, when like his press conference talking about Saudi Arabia in general. Uh, but again, you respect the maturity of of walking that back and, and trying to support the team overall. But you have the likes of James Allison, previous technical director coming back to help support potential, you know, mitigation of these problems or even redesign of the car. And so you know, it's it's still a bit unknown if they if they wholesale pivot the car design or or continue to try to work with this model. But where do you see the team as of now, from the driver dynamic to where they're going to head with the with the car design through the second half of the year and and into twenty twenty four? I mean, I, I still stand by if I put so uh, let's just baseline. Everybody's playing for second right now in that mm -hmm. group of three between Aston, Ferrari, and Mercedes, but I would still pick Mercedes as the highest potential intra-season developer, uh, regardless of the fact that they probably have the worst foundation technologically of all those three teams. Maybe, yeah, uh, I don't know. Ferrari's foundation seems pretty flawed. I, eh, I think Ferrari's organization is more flawed. Mercedes's car foundation is probably the worst. Their aero but, foundation, because yes. they'll still have highest reliability. I think they will make – it sounds like they're in the process, to your point, of the personnel changes. They're in the process of making the hard decisions. I still think I'd give them pretty good odds of, of being the second-place team at the end of the year uh, and winning in totality and constructors' points, uh, winning second place, that is. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think that most of their depression is just coming from the relative gap to Red Bull because clearly second place is, like, not their goal. But I think they got to swallow the pill. Uh, tough one to swallow. but. Um, Honestly, dude, like the thing, <laughs> this isn't really relative to team performance, but it's kind of indicative of it is just hearing Hamilton like gawk at basically how fast the Red Bull was when Max blew his doors off coming through the field. That was wild to hear from him. That it was like the fastest car he'd seen. That's pretty crazy. Well, and if anybody knows, it would be it would be him. Yeah, he's blown some people's doors off in his day. Like he knows what it feels like. Yeah, I generally agree with you in the whole point of best mid-season development. I have to wonder how much that is impacted, though, if you have the the wrong starting concept and you need to pivot from that wholesale. Sure. Now, does that totally eliminate your ability to close the gap? Or now that you're able to see a Red Bull and, a, and an Aston Martin can you pivot to that design and then extrapolate, okay, what do we need to focus on given that that very fundamentally different design? People will say that's really hard to do. You have to change everything from the ground up, but cameras are pretty good. I think they can take a lot of inspiration from the existing existing designs. 
and start to optimize even a new concept relatively quickly. And so it'll just be interesting to see how long it takes them, if at all, to to truly pivot from that from that direction. Aston Martin has proven to us that you can get it right quickly. You just have mm-hmm. to get it right. And Mercedes has just got to get it right. They need some fresh thinking, clearly. They're probably going to need to roll the dice a little bit. Uh, they're going to uh, have less plan Bs, you know, on the next design philosophies they come up with. So they're going to have to roll the dice. But if they get it right, they could make a they could make a big jump. I mean, they're they're capable of that. Well, this is an interesting like case study in in behavioral psychology, right? Of do they have this anchoring bias and stick to this because they have an ego and are invested in this concept, or are they no. are you able to sort of wholesale like take a fresh perspective, throw that away, and and come back with something something I, new? So what's your know, I, what was your take? Would they do you think they continue to develop this di- design, or do you think they no. at a certain no. point abandon this? And and how no early way. do they? They abandon it. I don't even know why we're asking the question. Toto has already said in the press exactly what he thinks, which is we're we're done. <laughs> we're moving on to Cincinnati. Like they're they're done with this design. Now, but what does I that mean for upgrades from the season? Do they really not carry anything well, no, forward? I, I think they're going to introduce a B spec car in like Barcelona. Like I, hmm. I really think they're working on something right now. I I doubt they're going to upgrade this philosophy substantially. Um. Everybody gets hung up on the side pods. Yeah, maybe the side pods will change, but I think it probably has more to do with the floor and the diffuser and probably the suspension than anything else. And so, yeah, I think they're going to I think they're going to roll out a completely different spec of car. Um Toto has signaled that. I think that's why they're bringing in new personnel. Um the quote for me that stood out the most was there's no shame in coming out with a car that looks like the Red Bull. I'm like, "All right, well, <laughs> Yeah, okay. man, you want you want to make a black Red Bull that's that's just just as fast? Go for it! Like, yep. Within the boundaries of the rules, beg, bar, and steal, homie. Like, I don't. I mean, I I'm all here. For, I'm here for it. Whatever it takes to continue to close that gap, yeah. let's let's do it. That Red Bull's got something figured out, dude. I, the thing that blew. I we didn't talk about this earlier, but the, how fast they were under DRS. It's hmm. not only like that they're fast in a straight line, but they're faster under DRS relatively. Like their speed gain under DRS is better than the speed gain relatively of other teams. Like the aerodynamic efficiency of that car is insane. Like when they want it to be planted in slow speed corners, it's planted. When they want it to be a rocket ship, it's a rocket ship. Like it literally can do anything. Like it's crazy. I don't know what they've done. Like well, obviously, you're, it's you're almost like you're not seeing any, you're not seeing any, need to like compromise certain things right like you're seeing setup issues with all other sorts of cars like in qualifying versus race pace or on certain tracks but it just seems like they have the full spectrum of options available to them and they can truly pick the the sort of perfect middle point they clearly understand and i think this is where adrian newey's like past experience is got them such a step ahead to me i guess because of ground the, the the role that ground effect plays the intersection of the how the arrow on the top of the car affects the ride height of the car and the suspension is like that's like the most important equilibrium for performance right now mm. and he just gets that like there was that whole theory last year that the reason the red bull was so fast in the straight is they had this thing or it wasn't porpoising is they had some reverse mechanical mechanism on the rear suspension that actually raised the ride height under higher speeds and it like was totally mechanical and like naturally occurring. It's like they've got something in that chassis that is causing the ride height to like adjust from the arrow dynamically in a way that makes it 
fast at all speeds and all types of turns. To your point, they don't have to make trade-offs in setup. It's like it's crazy, man. That thing is like it's it's Superman. That car is insane. Like I I, I feel like a fanboy talking about it so much, but like it is something to behold. Like this might be the best car ever built in Formula One. Like there is a chance that that could be true. Like. I don't. I almost don't even want to feel bad for Mercedes because it's like not fair. Like it's not fair. Like Red Bull is more dominant right now than Mercedes ever was in their eight-year run. They they are. It's a better car relatively than Mercedes ever built. And a lot of those guys at Mercedes were around for every year of that turbo hybrid run, and they're all sitting there going, "Damn, Red Bull just built a better car than we ever built." That is a big pill to swallow. I am just impressed with how emphatic you feel at this moment. As a naturally emphatic person, for those who don't know you personally, this is like a new a new high for your level, which is especially surprising given what I felt were shifting allegiances at the end of, of last season. But now you are fully back on the bull, as it were. No, I you are conflating my recognition of Verstappen's pettiness with a lack of fandom for Red Bull. And I think that's really, you're whitewashing the issue, Gerald, which is typical for you. (laughs) Nice. Well, with that, let's turn to a team that is not as dominant, notably Ferrari. (laughs) They looked a little questionable early in the... (laughs) You're still getting used to the timing of your your soundboard. You're not quite uh, quick quick on the trigger. But... Leclerc delivered in qualifying, ultimately uh, taking second, although had to take a penalty to replace the ECU. Now onto the third one. Um, In the race, they interestingly pit signs, who was on mediums before Leclerc, who was on softs in as an attempt to to overcut Stroll, which worked. Um, And then later in the race, Leclerc under safety car, uh, was told that he had, you know, he had the ability to open up at the gap to the car in front of him, only to have Hamilton come out of the pits in front of him, ultimately losing <laughs> him a position for no reason whatsoever. So between uh, sort of electrical computer issues to, I don't know, can we count this as a strategy failure? We yeah, you predicted 100%. two to three. Is that a strategy or is that a more of a tactic I, failure? I think this hundred percent counts as a strategy blunder. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, fair. So, I mean, again, signs generally escapes the uh, the ire of the team. But you talked about sort of the the team orders. What's your take on Leclerc sort of complaining about driving behind signs, but never being really within two seconds of a gap to do anything about it? I mean, it's I. Uh, I just was. I wanted to call him a prima donna, but it's like hard to be critical of Leclerc because I get why he's frustrated. I would be frustrated too. So, like, I don't really want to dunk on him. I'd rather just dunk on Ferrari. Objectively, you need to be hugging a guy's tailpipe to be asking for team orders. Like, sorry. (laughs) Like, you need to prove that, like, if it wasn't for the fact that these cars are super wide, you'd be getting around this guy anyway. So, like, make it easier for me kind of thing. I don't think he really proved that. Um, But, again, like, I don't (laughs) – dunking on signs kind of feels like kicking a cripple. Like, I I just, like – I mean, Duncan on Leclerc. Sorry, um, <laughs> I I don't know. I kind of feel shitty about it. So, 
yeah, he gets a certain amount of grace just for what he has to deal with on a daily basis. Yeah. So you know, I can yeah. I can't fault him for uh, for asking for a little help every every now and then. But I mean, I this- look, dude, I was just gonna say, like, I think Ferraris. I, literally going into jet, everybody was like, the tire deck will be better for them. They're going to be better in high speeds. They had a low drag car at Bahrain that didn't suit that track. It'll suit Jetta. That was the narrative. Dude, they got worse. <laughs> like, they got genuinely worse. Um, they got big problems, man. I, 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 It's not that the car's not fast. It's just not efficient. That's the thing. It's just, yeah, like he may get some poles this year, but it is not efficient. Uh, at a race distance. And I don't know how foundational the issues with the car are to make it efficient. Um, that they need to tear up their book, right, and go for something more like Aston or Red Bull. I have no idea, but um, I, I I genuinely think they could be fourth in the constructors this year. Well, what seems odd about this year's car is, unlike last year's, where last year you it, it seemed like you could you could see clear trends, right? Great in qualifying, higher DAG, but better on tracks that were less abrasive, higher speed, right? There was a very clear track performance correlation. And already in the first two races, like that didn't really hold. And so what is it? What is what is their strong suit versus what is their, their weak point? Um, and look, Leclerc was still able to pull out a great qualifying lap, but but it doesn't seem like a universal like it was last year, like both Leclerc and Signs putting up great early times and qualifying only to fall off late in a race. So yeah, it seems like they have potentially multiple issues that they have to work through and, and maybe something more fundamental than um, than last year. So yeah, not a, not a good trajectory for them. And I would agree, it very well could see them dropping to fourth now this year. Hey, look, Vassar's got all the ammunition he needs to start cleaning house. I mean- he will be excused for making dramatic moves, and it's already starting to happen. Then um, I think he's got to. There's really no other way forward at this point. Not if their goal is to be at the top of the grid. Um, it's either them or it's him. So, yeah, it's uh, yeah. a little bit of a asymmetrical decision for him to, to choose from at this point. <laughs> yeah. Well, a team that is not, uh, you know, maybe even turned around from disappointment. Uh, much to your chagrin, Alpine start to finish this weekend looked like a return to to late season form, strong in practice. Uh, at least Ocon looked decent in qualifying. Gasly ended up, you know, qualifying pretty well by the end in tenth, but for a while there it looked like he wasn't going to get out of Q one. Uh, and then you know, so starting seventh and tenth, finishing eighth and ninth now fifth in the constructors. It just seemed like an overall solid performance uh, with no reliability issues rearing their head yet. I mean, it'll be interesting to see whether or not they can even take it to Ferrari at this point. So let's see how far Ferrari can fall in a single season. Maybe they'll just be the uh, the antithesis to Aston this year. I'm not going to go that far, but I, I, I think Alpine's in for a lonely fifth on the mm. table. Um, I, don't, I certainly don't think it... I, Highlighting their relative performance and the improvement over last week, which, by the way, or two weeks ago, couldn't have gotten wor- couldn't have been worse. Fair. Uh, they they clearly are head and shoulders above any team below them on the constructors' table. I don't really see what evidence you'd point to that would suggest that they are capable of cracking the top four. 
not with where Aston Martin is this year. Uh, and I, mm. as much as I loathe the Tifosi, I I can't quite put Ferrari. <laughs> uh, You're not you going know, that far. A car that was a tenth off pole, uh, you know, less than two tenths off pole this weekend. How the hell am I going to take that and say that they're going to get beat by Alpha? I mean, I <laughs> that's a little bit of a stretch. Yeah, and it just seems like largely Gasly is just making his life hard every weekend, right? He he just needs to get his qualifying figured out, and and both yeah. of those cars could be in a in a decent spot. And yeah, he's got decent. And and Gasly's the one climbing the order every weekend. While Ocon is is kind of going backwards, right? He he ultimately gave up a spot despite having what two cars in front of him, or what, I guess one car in front of him drop out. So, um, yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see how that dynamic proceeds for the rest of the season. Moving down the order, I mean, Alfa Romeo really not too much to note. I think the only thing to add, no points for them on the weekend, but I I will note Joe out-qualified and out-finished Botas. Not sure when the last time that has happened, but 12th versus 11th in qualifying, 13th versus 18th in the race, albeit the team overall is still moving backwards in the race from their qualifying position. So not great from a a point-scoring perspective. But uh, without the early season weight advantage that they had last year, it's hard to see them contending for points week in and week out. And, And almost to the point where you know, they might actually be behind behind Williams. So, I mean, where do you have those two teams stacking up compared to each other? I mean, I think I was a bit overzealous on my, uh, what did I put, Alfa Romeo as a sixth? I had him sixth on the table preseason. Yeah, so that, that's that's probably not going to work out. I'm willing to However, maybe more conservative in your Williams prediction. So, I mean, I guess that's a, I think a wash at that point. Well, wait a minute. Actually, one, two, three, five. Ah! Okay, six may not be out of the question. It'll be it'll come down to whether they can beat Williams. I would say Williams seems to have a more positive trajectory and reasons to be optimistic. Botas seems to be waning. Sargent seems kind of new and somewhat exciting. So I, I'd probably give the the nod to Williams net net there. Um, I mean, yeah, Alpha's. I, I hear your points about Joe. I think that's great. Like, I think he's outperforming where most people thought he would be uh, at the beginning of his career. Um, Botas's story is written for me. He's just totally mailing it in, enjoying, you know, his uh, finished countryside summer home and cycling. And, you know, he, he seems to be madly in love with his girlfriend, Tiffany. Good for them. Like, I just, just retired, dude. Don't drag it. Don't, don't like Kimmy Reichen in this thing. Like just. So you think he's just overindulged in his whole like relaxed and comfortable position at Alfa Romeo. And it's just kind of a, a downhill a, slide at this point. It's not a criticism. Honestly, I'm jealous of him. You know, doesn't everybody want that? Like, <laughs> To be able to put it in autopilot at work, make a crap ton of money, and get to prioritize other things in life you care more about. Like, that sounds great. Like, show up to work with a mullet. Nobody can say shit to you. Like, that's awesome. I mean, I'm jealous of him, but, like, you know, uh, don't drag it out, man. Like, a lot of guys want your seat, so. Yeah, I would agree. I I would put this more on Botas than in, you know, impressive performances performances by Joe, in in all honesty, because – still haven't seen that one performance from Zoe where you're like, damn, this guy's got it. He is, he's a kid. And of the wow. And of the wow factor. He's just kind of like slightly better than expected, but like not jumping off the page. Exactly. But again, as we've said before, if you put that in context of a, a Mick Schumacher two year, two years, 
You'd take He's it. probably the wise one for playing a conservative and just doing what you got to do to keep your seat and ratcheting up into that wow factor. And so, you know, you can't fault him for that stability at, at this point. So he, he's yep. playing the long game. Yep. With that, we made mention of Williams. No points on the day, but both cars looked strong in qualifying. Albon making it into Q2. Sargent very well could have made it into Q2 had he not his time had his, was good enough. Had he not had his lap deleted, basically on a, at a totally superfluous decision to drive into the white or the, perp, the pink pavement, heading onto the home straight. I mean, really didn't gain anything by it uh, and threw away a, a great time only to get knocked out at the back of the grid. Um, and then unfortunately for Albon, despite better qualifying, having that performance punctuated by a brake failure uh, and then Will, Sergeant, unfortunately not able to, to really cr- climb the order and get to any point. So all for not for Williams on the day. But again, I guess my takeaway is they look stronger than they have in the past and more competitive at least here two weeks in, you know, competitive and qualifying and, and even in race pace. Agreed. I think they could be an exciting team by the end of the year. We'll see if Sargent can hook it up more consistently week to week, and we'll see if that car reliability can get sorted. But, um, uh, I, and I also, I don't know. I can't help but think that that suck for, um, what's the guy's name? They fire their team principal like a couple months ago. It was so nice. Is that Yost Yeah, yeah, Yost Capito. I can't help but think, like, ain't nobody that's leading that team today have anything to do with the relative performance gains of the car we're seeing right now, you know? So, like, he's probably at home, like, a little bit chapped, and I would get it. Um, Seems like he had a little bit too early of an exit. But uh, Williams is a team, well, especially with an American behind the wheel of one of their cars. And I like, I've I've always liked Albon. Um, It would be nice to see them make some gains and be regularly in the points. They've been at the back for so long. I I would fully agree. And I will note, we've talked about gear a few times. They are one of the few teams that have options for like off track gear that has dramatically reduced brand sponsorship. So it actually looks like some wearable clothing where you don't just look like a total fanboy. So the, the merch department over at Williams Great work, American driver. I think you'll have you'll see me rocking a Williams shirt here before uh, before too long. They're way more an American team than Haas is by a mile. Hmm. Like I I would make that argument till I was blue in the face. Well, some might argue that uh, Haas is a Russian team still, so we'll uh, we'll get to that momentarily. But um, but yeah, I, I to your point about uh, Capito, look, I don't know who did what, honestly, but at least in some of the initial conversations of the from the current team principal, he, he seems very focused on just establishing a really good process for learning to therefore develop the car. I'm sure everyone has that, but it just seemed like he had his head in the right space of, like, we're sitting here at the back of the grid, and so we need to institute some really, like, formal learning process. We're willing to sacrifice some performance on weekends to test different things and build up our, our, our bed of data rather than always just trying to focus on the single setup to optimize. And so I think given, you know, you're still at the back of the grid, I I think that's pretty, pretty prudent to inform some, some future development. Isn't James Vows at Williams now? Correct. Yeah. What's he there? Is he their technical director or principal? He's principal. Oh, wow. Yeah. Good for him. All right. Well, they got some talented people, that's for sure. 
Yep. All about, it's all about talent. Uh, so with that, let's turn to, uh, to Haas. Talent Speaking central. Of lack of talent. <laughs> God. Well, interestingly, Hulk continues to look good in qualifying, putting up great times, but Ooh. for the team as a whole, lacking race pace. Um, uh, but unfortunately, Hulk faring worse in race pace. Magnuson, good little battle with Sonoda at the end of the race, ultimately snagging 10th place in the last point on the day, leading to a tie with Williams for seventh place. Uh, you know, please tell me all of your opinions about how great Haas is, is doing at the moment. Oh, oh yeah, I was just going to skip right over Haas. Sonoda doing his best uh, Charles Leclerc impression on Team Radio, though, with the best matches of the week. No! <laughs> Well, to me, that had it was like very reminiscent of like the first Fast and the Furious movie, you know, as he gets passed, like what? Ludacris getting passed on that like opening race, and just like Monica. Ah <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, yelling like a guy who knows he's not going to get laid that night. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's tough. That's tough. Ugh. Tough item I, I, for. I have nothing to say about Haas. Honestly, I genuinely don't. I paid them no attention the entire race except for that Sonoda overtake at the very end, uh, and I have no idea what they did. Well, and while you might ch- tend to think that Haas at the moment is the the least interesting team on the grid, at least they have some intrigue in, in qualifying. Uh, unfortunately, much to my disappointment and where I kind of had Alphatari for the year and and hope they would be, I think they have to be the least interesting. I mean, yeah, we out and both out in Q1, minimal progress throughout the race. I mean, Sonoda finished 11th, almost had a chance at points, but it was really not any of his doing other than staying out of trouble at the start of the race. He kind of just benefited from the other cars falling out. And I think the bigger surprise is more so still DeVries. Um, not, not, showing up quite yet in qualifying or in the race. So uh, what's your, what's your early take on, on DeVries and, and where he stands? Uh, these last two teams we're going to talk about, man, it just is, it, it's when these guys in McLaren, it is almost impossible to judge driver performance. Mm. These cars are so bad, like, <laughs> like really genuinely very bad. I, so it's hard for me to say, like, I still think he seems like DeVries seems like a composed guy. He's probably a reasonably skillful driver. Um, I feel bad for him, frankly. I, I didn't expect him to be this far behind Sonoda relatively. But again, it's like, how do you judge that off of two races where the team performance was worse than worse? I, I, don't, I don't know. Yeah, I would agree. I think it's still very early. And I think this track in particular is a relatively new introduction to the calendar, right? In the time that he's been a reserve driver for Mercedes. And so may not be as familiar with the likes of Piastri who's driven that in, in F3. Right. And so I, this is a tough one to, to take on early in the season. Um, And like you said, far too early to tell for, for where he's going to stand, especially in a, in a difficult car. Now, with that being said, let's turn to McLaren Uh, still no points on the season, but interestingly, while Piastri struggled in the first, you know, a little bit in testing, kind of one of the odd men out there spinning out on track uh, and a weak first showing out in Q1 last race and really nothing to show for it in the race. This week, strong in practice, close to Norris. And with Norris making a mistake in qualifying, hitting the wall on a corner entry, 
which in, in particular is kind of unique, right? Typically you'll see it on corner exit going a little wide. He, he cut the corner too close, damaged the front left tire and out in Q1. Meanwhile, Piastri making it to the later rounds and, and starting well off. However, early contact on lap one front wing damage sent him to the pits as well as impacted Norris. Uh, down the field. So again, another rough outing for the team, but what do you make in terms of the the comparative performance between Norris and Piastri? Do you, do you chalk up Norris's uh, qualifying error only the second time ever in F1 for him to, to go out in Q1? You think he's feeling the heat a little bit from the, I don't from know. the man down under? I don't know if he's feeling the heat for his teammate as much as he's just generally stressed about the contract that he signed with, with McLaren. Yeah. Uh, uh, but I, you know, hats off to Piastri for making lemonade out of lemons and just for good measure delivers a piece of carbon fiber from his own car into Norris's intake, puts him in an early pit stop. He says, I'm going chest down. by that guy. <laughs> I know. He's like, I'm going down. You're going down with me. So, uh, I mean, yeah, I, again, it's so hard to judge, you know, it's kind of, you could look at it for Lando and just say, he just had, you know, he kind of had like an Ocon weekend like two weeks ago. Everything that could have gone wrong went wrong. He made a couple mistakes and just kind of bad compounded on bad. I'm still taking Lando head-to-head over the season between these two guys. I think Piastri will be a lot closer than Ricardo was. But again, like, does it matter? They're driving a dumpster on wheels. Like, I, you yeah. know, it's like, who gets to the landfill first? I don't care. Like, I don't. Um, so, I hate it for him, but that's just the hand they've been dealt, man. It's a terrible car. <laughs> Absolutely terrible car. Yeah, as you said, probably more down to the car than anything at this point. And look, that's the man's second time ever sort of making a mistake in qualifying to go out in yeah, in Q one. Like yeah, statistically, he was he was due. So hopefully, he's had his the extent of his bad luck for the year. But uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't count on it at this point. And I told you, contract rumors will be flying by the end of the year. I think the odds of that are only increasing at this point. Yep. Well, with that, let's uh, let's close out with some uh, personal podium DNF of the week, and then we'll do a quick uh, quick news roundup on some some interesting topics that have surfaced in the intervening weeks. But uh, personal podium this week, who do you got? Uh, I have just two actually. So um, the first is Checo for obvious reasons. You know, I think again, it's the first time that head to head he's had the race pace of Max seemingly, which is <laughs> very noteworthy even if some of it is slightly track-specific. The second one, I I mean, and this is kind of a joke, but also kind of not. Whatever team at Aston Martin went to the tape and found the seven instances of the thing that they got penalized for not being penalized by the FAA, like, whoever was reviewing that tape had, like, an hour to do it and did a phenomenal job. So I just want to say, like, hats off to whoever you are in the back office of Aston Martin who, like, put that appeal together in such rapid timing. do you think given where, you know, Stroll was out and Alonzo was a bit in, in no man's land, do you think they were just like the entire strategy uh, department, like everybody monitoring the race just immediately jumped into yeah, probably situations where <laughs> where somebody had received a, a pit stop penalty? That's probably, yeah. Just like probably, comb the archives. I think it, it was all a, hands on deck. It's a good point that they were probably doing it during the race. I'm sure that it was happening. Yeah, I mean, they didn't have a ton else to to do at that point after the after they, the safety car. They knew way before we did on the broadcast that the thing in question was the was the question of could the rear jack touch the car. 
And so they probably were going all over that pretty quickly. Yeah, I'm surprised that uh, watching the F1 broadcast, I don't know if how it was on on Sky since I've I've disbanded them from my home, but I I switched. You'd be proud. You of did me. you converted as well? well how is this it? Is a whole, no, it's a whole other rabbit hole. I have this thing called F1 Multi Viewer now. I sent you a picture while I was watching the race, so I can have like eight screens up at once. So I actually have the Sky broadcast up, but I minimize the window. But I occasionally toggle to their audio if I'm curious what Brundle's saying about something. Mm. But it's like five percent of the time. Was this the You're, first week you've used the Multi Viewer? Yeah, dude. First of all, best app I've. Best free app on the internet, F1 Multi Viewer. Couldn't recommend it more for anyone that has F1 TV. Wait, you didn't you do our we didn't do our uh, ad read lead in? If you're gonna no, if you're gonna I'm, promote something for free, I, you got to at I'm, least act like it's a real ad. I'll give them an I'll give them an adverb next week. But I, I, it is it's phenomenal being able to toggle multiple windows between drivers, uh, any of the international broadcast, the F1 TV Pro. Joey Palmer is awesome. That you were totally right about that broadcast team. They are, and, and and then David Coulthard is a great addition. They are so yeah. much more insightful, oh, and yeah. they pick up they pick up on so much more in real time from the race. Well, there's um, no like bullshit. It's not like yeah. anything contrived. It's just like what's going on on track and very objective. Talk yeah. about that. Yeah, it's a yeah. little more. It's a little more for like the technical oriented rather than the well, you know, the British tabloid types. The the, the everything. The other thing that's nice about MultiViewer is that they have a data tab that shows you a really great tracker of the sector times, the lap times, the tire strategies, the pit strategies, mm. the track position. It is just like really, really easy to see the, the strategy unfold and in a very visual way in a dashboard. So I have like that on a window. I've got a couple driver cams and I've got both feeds. I can toggle between the audio and it's awesome because like if you want to fast, like, so I, I can basically have the global broadcast on, and then I can unmute Checo's driver audio and it'll overlay the two together. And so I can, whenever Checo comes on the radio, I can hear him, but it doesn't override when he's not talking the global broadcast. Does the, so do the driver cams I'm, not include all the engine noise? Because that's the only no. thing that kind of distracts me. So it just does it, miking. So you could it, literally have like all the drivers up with their re- yep. respective mics simultaneously. Yeah, that's the not, good stuff. It, it, there is a little bit of white noise, but it's not that that distracting and you can control the relative volume. And then the other thing is if you miss something and you want to go back. So like there were a couple things in the max Checo exchange that I was like, Oh, I'd like to actually hear like they played the, 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 the clip in to the driver audio on the broadcast. And I was like, I'd yeah. actually like to hear the unfiltered version of that. And so I went to their driver cam, went back in time, played it. And then all you do is hit S on your keyboard. And then it resyncs all of your extended cameras back to the global broadcast. And it, I think and being able to see the hear the simultaneous like radio chatter is the most interesting piece where you, you almost hear the back and forth as they're like on different parts of the track or dude, you're seeing different times go up. Dude, you can. So all the replays are uh, loaded in multiview, all the race replays. You should download it and go back and just watch the last 10 laps of the race and pull up the F1 TV pro broadcast and then pull up Max Checo and leave their audio unmuted. And just listen to how it progresses. I swear to you, the pettiness of Max Verstappen will become abundantly clear to you. Abundantly. Oh, I've listened to but the radios, and I feel no differently than what I expressed earlier. So you're not going to budge me off of that position. So <laughs> Sorry, that basically, a, your personal podium was the F1 multi-viewer, <laughs> in short. Yeah, he he deserves to be third on the podium, if not first. I, I can't remember the guy's name who created that, but it is he's not monetizing it in any way. I can't tell that he is. It's 
phenomenal. He's doing yeoman's work, a true saint in a in a world of I, greed and and selfishness. I literally ordered a cur a twenty seven inch curved Samsung computer monitor on Amazon because of this app. <laughs> And you have you have gotten in deep over the last two weeks. Like I said, man, it's uh, I'm a little concerned. Um, <laughs> well, you? you know, maybe unsurprisingly, uh, as a full full convert to Team Stroll, I got to put have, uh, Stroll on your personal podium. I think Why? the man has shown up race. solidly, not to his own fault, We're and even in his road. own, even in his car's failure. I think just the maturity and the progress of a man who used to cause crashes willy-nilly for no no reason whatsoever to now have the wherewithal to remove the car from the track cleanly, I really can't ask much more of Stroll at this point. Uh, and beyond that, I will have to give it to, to Verstappen, your driver of the day. Ruthless, nothing but fight in the man's heart. Moved up the entire field. Nearly to take second place had he not been shackled by team orders. Yeah, safety car didn't help him at all, yeah. yeah. Pointless <laughs> safety car, by the way. It should have been a virtual safety car. What the hell's the point of the virtual safety car if you don't deploy it in that instance? Wow, well, we didn't even get into the con- – we didn't even talk about that with the FIA and their like, not ability to target where a car is on track, much less you know that whole potential conspiracy of they're really just in, in, the, in the back pocket of the Verstappens, yeah. right? <laughs> Your GPS broke, FIA. Well, mine on F1 TV Multiview didn't break. <laughs> I could have told you. I was going to say, they just need to tap you into the conference call. You're, you're fucking in, on baby. it. <laughs> <laughs> I got a big monitor coming. I'm going to be seeing things in a bird's eye. High res, man. Well, I think that's a good segue to our DF, DNF of the week. Uh, who do you have? Or are you about to do a DFL, a DFL ad? <laughs> <laughs> I'm all about the ad reads this week. Corporate corporate sellout or DHL. Sorry. (laughs) What moves you? Um, All right. Who do you have? DNF of the week. I I have one DNF and it's the grid boxes. Get that shit out of here. I'm sick of this point. You know, I like, I get it. If your car is pointed too far to the inside because you're getting off the line in a way to try and cut another driver off. But Alonzo was on the outside arguably further off the racing line and in no way influences takeoff. I don't really understand the strictness of, of not pit, sorry, not pit boxes, grid boxes. Uh, it just seems a little bit arbitrary. Uh, and it's, it's happened twice now and it has never happened another time in my personal history of F1 fandom. So I'm a little bit skeptical that they've just decided to start enforcing. And honestly, I'd be happy if the the grid boxes were like six or twelve inches wider. I actually kind of like the idea of like yeah, team cars not? being able to like position themselves in a little bit of different way, different conditions on different tracks. Like, totally. just adds another element to the to the strategy. So I, I say give them the flexibility. Yeah, hell, let, let them line up on the guy in front of them's tailpipe if he wants to. You know, I think it'd be great. Well, similarly, uh, my DNF of the week, as I think is probably my most frequent flyer for DNF of the week, is is the FIA. Uh, I think it says more about me than it does about them, honestly. But uh, look, this seemed like the most simple, straightforward race in a long time. And they still bumbled it in multiple ways from not even being able to properly interpret the precedent of their own rules to nowhere a car who is uh, experiencing a failure is sitting and whether or not 
they should do a VSC or a safety car. So, and then on top of that, just being so tediously nitpicky about inconsequential things like jewelry. The other one was weaving that we talked about. I loved how both Palmer and Colthard were like, yeah, weaving was like pretty normal in our day when you're just talking about breaking a toe, like under breaking is one thing, but on a straightaway, like that's part of the game. So I fully agree with them. Like these guys are professionals. They would all like to do it if it was in the rules. So I say, let them go for it. Break the toe. I agree. Yeah, I agree. All right. Well, with that, I think a couple of interesting things to note just in the in the news roundup as we bring it home. Uh, it seems like the the saga between Haas and the Ruskies is never over. What is this, part three at this point? Uh, interestingly, since last week or since last race, PBS coming out with a report claiming that Haas machines – uh, because they are a, a precision machine manufacturer, uh, seemingly have made their way to Russia and potentially used in the production of military equipment after sanctions have gone uh, into into effect against Russia for the war in Ukraine. And FBI, open up! And uh, and albeit, you know, under the the commentary of the Economic Security Council of Ukraine, so I, I imagine they are somewhat biased. But what they claim is that there's somewhere around the 18 shipments worth $2.8 million made between March and October of last year since the war started, which ultimately would mean that they're, you know, as expensive as those machines are, those are basically, you know, replacement parts for those machines to continue to keep them running. Um, but of course, Haas uh, denies these allegations, stating that they, they ceased those shipments after the, the sanctions went in place. Um, look, can this team find itself connected to any more seedy dealings? I mean, you, first you had the porn king of of the the rich <laughs> energy fame, followed by the Mazepins, and and now this. I mean, what can it get any rougher for for Haas and and Gene? Yeah, bad guys are only entertaining if they're good, and these guys are not good, so it's just kind of sad. Uh, you think this is legit, though? I don't know. I, I don't know. When I see stuff like this, like, listen, hey, I'm I'm team I'm team Ukraine. Obviously, I just want to like establish that. But you know, the Ukraine propaganda machine is as it should be in full spin, and I, you know, who knows with stuff like this? I'm sure that an investigation will occur, and the objective truth will come out. So I don't really, when it's from a source that has that biased of an interest in the uh, equation. I tend to be inherently skeptical. Um, it it wouldn't surprise me. I'll say that, but I'm I'm not banking on it being true. If that makes sense. Well, and while you might be but team, also, you and I yeah, kind of don't care. <laughs> like <laughs> I, this seems kind of irrelevant, irrelevant to me anyway. Again, I've already said that Williams is more American than they are, so <laughs> I don't really have a lot invested in this. Well, while you might be team Ukraine, I am staunchly and solely team America. It's corporations <laughs> included. And, uh, you know, in the light of, of recent event, geopolitical events over the last couple of years, to me, this stinks of, uh, of Russian propaganda as payback for uh, dropping Ural Kali and, and the Mazepins. And look, this wouldn't be the first time that, that Russians uh, were, uh, were observed providing compromising materials to damage a fake dossier, might some, some might say, to damage the reputations of Americans or American corporations. So it seems gotta, like right I out of the say, playbook. 
That is uh, one of your more convincing conspiracy theories yet. I I I, I gotta say. Co- you think this is yeah. you think this is Russian propaganda as payback? I, I I think it is plausible that that could be the case. All right, hey, and that's all we need. Just a, just a little crack the, in there, and then you'll just I'll work away at that. It, Maybe it's the maybe it's the group of Ukrainian rebels that blew up Nord Stream One. Maybe they're responsible for this too. I have no idea. Ooh, well, that's a yeah. that's Let's a not into that pond. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a deep, <laughs> deep pond. Pond on to synthetic fuels, anyway. <laughs> yeah, and so the other speaking of gas, <laughs> the other piece of news that is uh, far more substantive and concrete: uh, Germany and Italy basically rejecting a proposed EU law around basically their objective to outlaw combustion engines by 2035 and both Germany and Italy, as well as some other smaller country pushing for exemptions for, there it is, exemptions once again, right? Um, Pushing for exemptions to allow basically carbon neutral fuels or synthetic fuels, which I think is particularly interesting. We talk a lot about the intersection between the sports and politics which is unique, I think, in F1 than a lot of other sports, except maybe, you know, the NBA in China. But that aside, you know, I think it's an interesting intersection, particularly as you think about Germany and Italy, right? Germany with with Mercedes and, and down the road, Audi, Porsche, and then with with Italy um, and and Ferrari, you know, very rich automobile histories with major corporations in this sport that's ultimately going to synthetic fuels in 2026. And so I just thought it was a really interesting piece where you'd have to expect the same company sort of lobbying politicians in those countries to push back. And and I think it just built on what we had talked about in terms of the overall sort of direction of the automobile industry and and not being a, a purely electric space for a long time to come, if ever. Um, and, it, and it seems like more and more other automa- automobile manufacturers are are thinking similarly of synthet- you know, carbon neutral synthetics being more of the way to go forward rather than you know, pure electrification. Yeah, I mean, I think at some point we'll get far enough down this electrification road where it'll become clear to most developed countries that 100% electrification of commercial vehicles and consumer vehicles is not the goalpost. Uh, Mm. And it shouldn't be. Um, It's never going to be true for airplanes, right? You're never going to have battery powered airplanes. So by nature of the commercial durability of internal combustion, you're going to have a need for, I think some of it to bleed into the consumer side as well. So I think those 2035 targets are mostly political fodder. Um, I always find it incredibly unlikely that they'll be true uh, when the actual year arrives. Um, I don't think history really supports that. So I don't, I don't really get too up in our... I mean, the point you're making is, is valid in that it's potentially creating a compromised situation for these manufacturers who feel like F1 is potentially pushing in a different direction. Um, I guess I just don't think it's realistic for you know, automotive industry to get there by and large in full majority by 20. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. Like I said, and if ever, I just think it's interesting. You see F1 doing a certain thing and then that's almost setting the tone for the regulation that the EU is 
is passing. Um, and you know, those guys, those are the guys on the leading edge of the technology and the science. And so, uh, it just seems like they're, they're more in the know. And, and so it'll be interesting to see how that, well, they should, they that should industry be. evolves. Yeah. You should be looking I mean, to those people. And again, as we've already talked about, right? Like, are you going to have synthetic fuels that are carbon neutral or running off of electricity that's still powered by, you know, Russian gas. Yeah. So pick your poison. Yeah. Agreed. All right. Well, with that, Jetta is in the rear view, looking ahead two weeks to to Melbourne. Um, any predictions on on who might fare better uh, as we get into the third race of the season? I hate this track. I uh, I Red Bull will one two. I have no idea what will happen after them. McLaren will suck. Those are the <laughs> those are the things that I know I can bank on. That's the tried and true for this season. I hate this track. I hate this track. It is one of the worst tracks on the calendar. Why Genuinely that? hate it. I dude, I don't again, I tie everything about my love and hate of tracks back to the F1 video game. I just think this is an outrageously <laughs> unfun track to drive. Uh it is needlessly narrow and I the feedback drivers give is uneven and bumpy in certain parts. Uh it's I don't know. It's just it's just not a fun track. Uh there's not a lot of like really dynamic high-speed turns. There's only really one chicane in Sector 3 that like kind of makes the hair on your arm stand up. The rest of it just seems to kinda not tedious flow. track. It's tedious, and it's just, yeah, I, I, I don't like it. And it doesn't have a history of producing wildly entertaining racing. Yep. Well, a little bit of a weekend off. Your disdain aside, we will still be tuning in start to finish. And back here, while I hate to commit us to it, next Monday, right? We are, uh, no, you know, and, two weeks. and from a listener's perspective, no, no. I mean, two weeks. Back on Monday after the race. Monday night, oh, Tuesday yeah. morning, which, you know, this is two in a row for us. So we're, we're developing quite a, a habit here. Well, I got to get it edited first. So don't count your chickens. This might not hit the podcast till Thursday night. <laughs> I don't know. As much time as you've been dedicating as of late, I wouldn't be surprised if it's out in the next 45 minutes. So, <laughs> All right, man. Well, another one in the books two weeks from now. Until then. Always a pleasure, buddy. Peace. Peace.